From the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're working together to understand the Christian faith in the age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Tonight's the short show. Tomorrow night is our long show. We will take your comments on the short show and address them on the long show in the weeks to come. I want to talk to you tonight about the TVOS, Traditional View of Scripture, versus what I have, the PVOS, the proper view of Scripture. Isn't that humble of me? Ready? There's 12 comparisons I want you to consider. Here we go. Seth has created these for us. The traditional view of Scripture says that it was written to us today. That Paul writing letters, even though he addresses them, for instance, First and Second Timothy to Timothy only, they're just private letters, just like you would send a letter, People believe that those were written to us today, all right? And the proper view of Scripture, the PVOS says, it was written to the believers in that age, and it contains information for us today, but it wasn't written to us today. Let's be clear and fair. The Scripture does not anywhere, New Testament, say it was written for generations to come. Nowhere does it say that. In fact, what we call the New Testament isn't even the New Testament. God calls his New Testament the time when he will write his laws on our hearts and minds. So that, that apostolic record that we have of letters that were written and gospels that were composed, they were written to them then. And I don't think Paul or Peter or John had any idea that they were going to be gathered and compiled and used out 2,000 years later. The second traditional view of Scripture says that it is applicable literally to each of us now. That there is actual literal application and it's on a spectrum. Some people say a lot of it is, has application. Some people say most of it. Some people say all of it has direct literal application to us today. The proper view of Scripture says it's applicable to us. To, uh, to us now in principles and in themes. So just because there's a sample in the scripture of something relative to what they did in that age does not mean the same sample transfers to us. There's a principle being involved there that by the Spirit you learn and you read and you apply that principle to your life as you live today in this modern age. To be so zealous and to suggest that, no, it says this, we do that. Like circumcision, for instance. Physical circumcision. We're talking about that in our studies in Romans. Do males have to have their penis circumcised today? And Paul circumcised Timothy. That's an example. Jesus was circumcised. So Jesus, he's our perfect example. Does that mean we should be circumcised? You see the problem when you go to direct literal application? But then you have the problem of, if it's not direct literal application, who gets to decide what's applicable and what isn't? The person, the spirit. To who? The individual. That's the difference in the, uh, between the traditional view of Scripture and the proper view of Scripture. Is that the proper view says, I'm going to let the spirit tell me subjectively what applies to me and what it doesn't. And I will be responsible before my maker for how I follow that spirit and how I reject it. The next one is people traditionally see it as a manual on how to do Christianity, Christianity objectively. 
That means they think that the New Testament has a system that, that tells us what Christianity looks like. The Mormons, they go and they, what they do is they take a laundry list. Okay, does your church have apostles? Does your church have a 70? Do your church have deacons? Does your church have elders? And, and all these things so that they can say, we fill all those categories. And it was never meant to be that way. What we have in, the, in Scripture is the apostles establishing the church then, preparing it for Jesus to take it. And so they had deacons and elders and everything else. But what that they wrote to them then does not necessarily mean it should exist today or after Jesus came and took his bride. It, it was merely uh, what was going on in their lives. So the proper view of Scripture relative to that is the Bible is a spiritual map. And it's full of spiritual principles on how to know God and walk the Christian life subjectively. You read it. You have the Spirit. God has written His laws on your heart and mind. You know what's applicable or not. You don't need a brick and mortar to, to come in and say, okay, our deacon's board, which is authorized by the Bible in one of the pastoral epistles written to only to Timothy or Titus, uh, we're going to... It's just nonsense. It's all nonsense. And I have... I do not believe for a second that it was God's intention for us to take it that way. Uh, next one is the Bible is full of rules, that there's rules. In fact, did you know that in the New Testament, there's something like 2,000 or is it 1,000? I can't remember. There's a lot of rules. The Jews said they had 316 rules. Well, the New Testament brings out, if you take everything thou shalt, you better. This is what you do. There's a, a bunch of rules in the ink. But uh, I would say that the proper view of Scripture is it's full of wisdom and it's full of insights. And that, yeah, it's, they're not rules of musts, but they're insights of will. You know, you, it, it's, it's not a must, you must do this. It's if you're led by the Spirit, you will do this. And that's the difference between having a more open, subjective, liberal view of things and having an objective, demanded uh, view of things. That's why pastors, they take it and they stand on their pulpit and they say, you're supposed to, you've got to give to the church and you got to pay tithes because tithing is mentioned in the Old Testament and tithing is mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus to the Jews, not to Gentiles in the Gentile church. And Paul says to be a cheerful giver. And so therefore you got to pay your tithes. Okay. That's taking it and using the book as a book of rules. Now, if a pastor gets up and says, you know, the church supported each other, and uh, Paul says there's nothing wrong with a pastor uh, uh, partaking of the uh, harvest of what's going on, uh, and if you're so led or inclined by the Spirit, and if you're in a position financially to give, well, then you can, okay? It isn't a book of rules. It's a book of cans, wills, and it's up to use. All right, the next one is it tells people how things must be. That's another one. Uh, verses tells people how things were and will be in the lives of those who walk by faith. See, there's a different perspective. To take the Bible and say, this is telling us how things must be, is living by the letter and destroying the Spirit. But if it's something that tells people how things were, what happened to believers when they walked with Christ, and the ultimate results of that, you can learn by that, and you can see, and you can let the Spirit tell you if you want to apply that to your life or not. Faith is objective. There is a way. Do it. That kind of goes hand in hand with everything else I've said. But faith is subjective. 
Faith is when God writes his laws upon your heart and mind, you are led by him directly. And just because somebody in your church cites the Bible and says, it says right here, doesn't mean that that's applicable to you. It's applicable to you on how the spirit moves you. You read the same passage and you might find that it has an application or it doesn't. There's liberty in Christ where the spirit of Christ is. There is liberty. Anytime you remove liberty from the gospel, the gospel message from the body of believers, you are removing the spirit. You see the difference? Where the spirit is, there's liberty. Take away liberty, you take away the spirit. And you become a rigid, dogmatic church. And that, what has that done for us? Nothing. It's made rigid, dogmatic people who don't have any love in their hearts. So there's a problem when we see the Bible as presenting an objective, quantifiable, systematized faith that everybody should follow. And we can see that's obvious because we've got 1,500 different sects and denominations out there. There's really only two denominations, Protestantism and Catholicism, when you think about it. Maybe three, Restorationism, uh, maybe four, occults. But those four are probably the big denominations. But within those, there's 1,500 sects and, and, and all these ideas. So we know that in terms of the faith being ob objective, baloney. Uh, I would suggest to you the next one is believers from the Bible is one of the diff most difficult things. And this is how the letter kills is that when you take the Bible and you use it literally and as a tool and a weapon against people, it entitles you to hate other people. It entitles you to look down on other people and it entitles you to despise people based on its actual contents. See, that's what the Westboro Baptists do. They take actual contents and they justify their hatred for others. Uh, I would suggest that if you're interpreting the Bible in a way that justifies your hatred for another person, your meanness toward another person, uh, indifference toward another person, you have misinterpreted the Bible. That the litmus test for proper interpretation of Scripture is does it lead you to love with agape love? God first, others second. Does it lead to that? If it does not, it fails the litmus test of proper interpretation. How do you like that one? How do you like that one? I mean, this scripture here is telling me I can hate them homosexuals. Well, you have misinterpreted that scripture if it lends to hate. If that scripture reading about homosexuals lends you to love them, then you're interpreting it properly. Okay, the next one, moving on down the road. Is that a song? Uh, is it offers regiments that confine a reader. Meaning if you take the Bible and it confines you, restricts you more and more and more, binds you up, sets you captive, you are also misinterpreting it. It should be opening you up, liberating you, freeing you from the things that hold you bound. That's why Jesus came to set the captives free. The problem with reading the, the words and letters and letting it totally confine you is its proper interpretation. Liberates through truth and love. Next, it divides believers one from another through denominationalism. When you have a law, it will divide people. I don't care anywhere. So you take 20 people in a room and you say, here's the law. Jesus had brown hair. 
This is the rule. I know he did. I had a vision. It says right here, you know, if you trace his genealogical line, they all had brown hair. Jesus had brown hair. That's the rule. That's the dogma. We teach it. If you paint a picture of Jesus, can't be black haired, can't be blonde haired. It's got to be brown haired. That will divide those 20 people up. That's what the written law does, you see. So when you use it as a law, you're misinterpreting its purpose. The real best proper way to interpret scripture is that it will unite believers in Christ in love. It will bring us together. Uh, it goes without saying the next one is the, uh, the false traditional view of the scriptures that quenches the spirit. And I just talked about that, that where the spirit is, the spirit of Christ is, there is liberty. It quenches the spirit. Uh, however, a proper understanding of scripture invites and doesn't quench or hinder the spirit and how it moves in our hearts at all. And the fruit of the spirit is <laughs> love. The fruit of the spirit is love. Again, if you're misinterpreting, it will be non-love. If you're interpreting properly, it will be love. Simple litmus test. Next one, it reveals, and there's only two more, an anachronistic eschatology. What that means is it, it gives you an eschatology, a study of end times that's anachronistic, meaning it's achronological. It doesn't make sense relative to time. And if you read it properly, it supports a reasonable and therefore a fulfilled eschatology. That everything that's being described as prophesied and going to happen has happened within that book. The single most important line in the book of Revelation, do you know what it is? It's the first line of the entire Revelation. Single most important line. It's overlooked by everybody who ever reads Revelation. What does it say? The revelation of Jesus Christ given to him by God for his servants, I think it's for his servants, to show them the things which must shortly come to pass. That's the first line in the whole book, which must shortly come to pass. And then you have 22 chapters of John telling them what must shortly come to pass. That's the most important line in the book. That's proper eschatology. Improper eschatology is to take that and assign it to our day and do all this other stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Finally, and this one's going to be popular with you guys. Traditional interpretation of the Bible takes 10 verses out of thousands of verses. It takes 10 and establishes a foundation for creedal Trinitarianism. The 10 main verses are the, are the, the bread and butter of Trinitarianism. You've got a thousand or two thousand other passages that refute the Trinitarian, the Trinitarian view. And yet 10 are used to the, in the traditional way to support this man-made notion of a Trinity. All right. And thousands that are, have to be sort of repurposed in your mind in order to make sense. Uh, I will just say that a proper view of scripture teaches that there's one God the Father. That's what Scripture says. That's what Paul says. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. The Word of God is living, and when, we read, when it's read by the Spirit, every individual has access to what God wants for them in their life. The unique thing about it is that when people of all different climates and cultures and races and genders read the Word of God by the Spirit, and it's truly sought by the Spirit and, and, and with these ideas of love being there, 
the understanding is united by people. People see it in the same way, in this mystical sort of spiritual union that occurs that people reading in Germany and people reading here in Salt Lake who are seekers, they read that scripture and they come to understand it saying the same thing. That is the proper use of scripture. Men have made the word of God dead by interpreting it wrongly, making it a set of rules and religious mandates and objective religion. It shouldn't be that way. Write your comments below. We'll talk about them here on Heart of the Matter.